Hi, I'm Elizabeth Noyce, and you're listening to Supergirl Radio. Radio, your source for all things related to the CW Supergirl TV series and the character of Kara Zor-El. My name is Rebecca Johnson. I'm Morgan Glennon. And for this episode of the podcast, we are going to take a look back at Supergirl's fourth season. What worked for us? What didn't? What were the highlights? We're going to take a look at all of it. But first, we need to get to the news. Supergirl Season 4 is now available for streaming on Netflix. So if you really wanted to go and revisit all of Ben Lockwood's scenes, you can do that now. <laughs> there is one Ben Lockwood super fan who's like, yes, finally. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, Sam Witwer is great. Uh, and actually, maybe a rewatch would help with following his arc and how Lex is manipulating him throughout the season. It might actually be a good way to rewatch the season just to follow that storyline. So I I kid, but actually that might actually be a cool (laughs) way to watch it. So hopefully it'll be a a fun rewatch. I'm very excited to rewatch some of my favorite episodes. So it's good to have all four seasons of Supergirl on Netflix now. Well, that is it for the news for this episode of the podcast. So let's revisit season four of Supergirl. We just finished it, Morgan. We did. Just ended And now we're going to kind of look back at it as a whole and talk about some of the highs and the lows, uh, because there were both of them. Uh, So uh, (laughs) as as always with every season, really, there are highs and lows, uh, because TV seasons do ebb and flow. Uh, So the first thing we are going to talk about are the positives. So Morgan, what really worked for you in season four? Um, If I had to give out my top superlative... (laughs) <laughs> it would go to a, a girl we all know and love named Lena Luther. That's right, <laughs> Lena Luther. I thought that. Uh, well, actually, I think I it, to to cheat. I would give my MVP of the season to all Luthers, mm. to every single you. That's allowed. Uh, are you a Luther? You get an MVP. You get an MVP. <laughs> because I thought that the the Luther stuff this season was some of my favorite material that I think that they've done on the show. Like, I was so surprised, so amazed by Ducky Lex Luther. He, <laughs> he was everything I didn't expect him to be and more. Listen, I know when I'm wrong. I'm sorry, John Cryer. You're great. He was <laughs> one of like one of my top Lexes now, I think. Uh, just so good. And he could do the like emotional stuff where you really felt like he did care about Lena, but then he could do the over the top diabolical stuff where like he cared too much about her horse. Like <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I really, I thought he was such a good Lex Luthor and such a nice like a, such a well-balanced character and so interesting and whenever he showed up on screen I just wanted to watch more of him so I think the Luthers you know you get Lillian in the mix she's great she's crazy you get Lena in the mix maybe she's gonna science murder someone maybe she's gonna <laughs> shoot her own brother you don't know she's a wild card and then Miss Tessmacher who I am uh, considering an honorary Luther this season <laughs> I would too completely crazy but also like nuanced and cool uh i think that the luther stuff was was the best part of this season i would say by far which i don't know that i would have pegged like early on i don't think that like not that lena was having a bad season ever but i think kind of early on she was stuck in this sort of like not to knock the lena and james thing <laughs> like not to kick not to kick a ship when it's down or but to, like, to, to kick uh, uh someone out of a car yeah like, not, use that metaphor. not to throw someone out of a limo when they're down <laughs> but uh, i think that when she was sort of entangled in the like guardian stuff and the does james trust her and should he trust her stuff i was less interested in her stuff but then when she starts to really go and research the Haranel and she's got, you know, she's it, like testing people and there that tension between her and Supergirl and her and Kara where you kind it starts to come to a head and like even like a towards the end of the season I started to go like how much longer are they going to pull this like not knowing thing because it did seem like this season it was starting to come to a head where it I mean it's never made sense that she doesn't know but it was starting to really not make sense this season so I think that there was like a lot of good interesting Lena stuff this season which I really enjoyed yeah I would agree with that at the beginning of the season she was Lena was kind of stuck in the relationship with James and I I enjoyed that part I think I'm the only one in the Supergirl uh, fandom who did (laughs) but but I did enjoy their relationship but I I do think that her stuff really started to click when all of those experiments started ramping up. And I I hate to say this, but I someone did uh, on Twitter, uh, I think it was Bailey, uh, a friend of mine on Twitter, uh, said something about wanting to watch season four. And I, I hate to say it, but I was like, if a Luther is not in the scene, don't watch it. Because I feel so strongly about how the Luthers impacted season four and made it better. It just felt like a completely fresh new show when Lex arrived because it just felt like, I I don't know how to put this into words, but I think the first half of the season felt like it was trying so hard to make a statement that it didn't really know what kind of show it wanted to be. But when Lex showed up and the Red Daughter stuff kicked in, and we'll, we'll probably talk a little bit about Red Daughter too, it felt like it knew it was more confident in what it was and what it was trying to do. And I that you could I could just feel like I could literally feel a change in the show. I agree. I feel like um I don't this is maybe a little bit much, but I feel like I could call this season like a tale of two shows. Like there were two shows this season and one show was trying really a hard to accomplish the like to accomplish something with varying degrees of success, which is I think the topical issues, mm-hmm. if we may. And the other show was like, what if 
Lillian tried to poison her own son by like serving him tea in the Oval Office. And like that was the show. That's always been the show that I've wanted to watch. And I think both of us are kind of on the same page where it's like if you can do something crazy, but like ground it in the characters like that's the show I want to watch. I want it to be it's okay. It can be a little comic booky and a little weird as long as you've got characters that you really care about and the emotional beats make sense. Then you can like say you could turn a mild manner reporter into a turtle boy and like we would be along <laughs> we would be okay with it you could have somebody with cyanide sweat you could bring in director <laughs> like I <laughs> we would be open to it i want this show to be less afraid of being weird i think is what it comes down to and so maybe the stuff that i enjoyed the most this season was like when the show was just like what if we just got a little bit strange and we just had a character named hat who came out of nowhere and his power <laughs> is hat and I'm, I'm like i'm like yes that is exactly what i want to see on this show i want to see like a bunch of super villains like chewing scenery and their power is hat and like <laughs> uh and i think when they tried to wade into current events in the thinnest thinnest veneer of like no no this is this is the show but also and then they turn to the camera it's reality <laughs> and it's like a, a lot of times their their metaphors are either too on the nose or they kind of fall apart when you think about them too hard and i feel like what you're good at is this like what you're good at is is like having a fun superhero show with really good characters who have like really good emotional arcs and i think the brainy stuff, if you look at some of that stuff, even though he was kind of in the background, like the stuff that they did they did with him at the end of the season, I was so worried about him. And it's that's very comic booky stuff, like that his personality kind of gets rebooted into a like a colder version of himself and then he comes out from that with like the power of love or whatever <laughs> but it, it works because uh we care a lot about brainy now we've seen him we know what he's like we've watched him grow over the course of the season and because jesse rath is a great performer and i think the one thing that supergirl always has even when the storylines make me go like really is that they have such good performers in their yes. cast so they can i feel like the cast can sell some stuff that i would not B, I would not want sold on any other show. Like, <laughs> I think on a lot of other shows, I'd be like, yeah, that's a no from me. But like, <laughs> but then like, like Kyler Lee like starts to cry and I'm like, yes, that's right. You take that grass. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me wonder sometimes if like the first half of the show was intended to be what the, the writer's room wanted it to be. And then like the second half was... Here we're gonna give something for the fans. We're 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 gonna do something that maybe you want instead. And I, I don't know why it has to be uh, either or. You could do an entire season that is just well written and tell, telling a good story that also has a lot of comic booky elements because it is a, a show based on comic book material. So I I do have those expectations that there should be some comic book. Uh, not not just Easter eggs, but a comic book feel to it, and that's what you're. I think you're talking about when you talk about it can be a little crazy, and we're okay with that because that's what we expect from this this genre. And I I just don't know why it has to feel like it has to be an either or situation. And sometimes like with this season, it felt like that. And uh, so for me, I think that's partially why I felt like season four was kind of inconsistent. But I would agree that the Luther stuff really held a lot of that up. 
And I think that the the reveal that Lex was the master manipulator behind everything helped merge both parts of the both parts of the personality <laughs> of the season that it kind of tried to bring the Ben Lockwood stuff along and justify it. And I think for the most part it was pretty successful. But it also, you know, and I guess we can talk about uh, this when we talk about uh, what didn't work for us because we're going to talk about that. But I think that the Luther stuff really helped elevate some of the the lower aspects, the stuff that really wasn't working. It made it it made it work in the end. Um, and yeah, the John Cryer, um, he's not my favorite Lex Luthor. I still love Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor. I know everybody's screaming at me, but I still love him. <laughs> um, but John Cryer did a great job, and his characterization, the the way they wrote for him, and the way he portrayed it, and his uh, chemistry with um, Brenda Strong and Katie McGrath were, was just on point. It was like they had been doing it forever. Even with on, Andrea Brooks was great. It was so great. So uh, the Luther stuff really did. I mean, if we're talking about what worked for us in season four, uh, the, the Lex Luther and the Luther stuff in general was, and Lena's uh, character arc in particular, just uh, hands down for me, the best part of the season. Yeah, I agree. And and like you said about the, um, the Luther stuff elevating some of the other stuff, I agree with that 100%. I think we talked about it um, last week in the the finale episode, but I even said like retroactively, the Luther stuff was so good that it like retroactively made me less annoyed by some of the other storylines that I was like, all right, enough already. Like, I think that, uh, you know, we'll get into this when we talk about what doesn't work in, for us in season four, but the Lockwood stuff was always a little bit of a slog for me. And especially when we hit the, the mid season and he was still around and I had, I was sure that he'd be, uh, dealt with by that and I was like <laughs> oh god we still have Lockwood but uh, I think the idea of Lex being this master manipulator who has like moved all these pieces on the chessboard of season 4 into place where he needed them to be did a lot for me of healing that like annoyance where I think if I you're I think you're right if I went back and I watched season 4 I think I would be less annoyed with some of the Lockwood stuff because I would know oh well this is Lex how like trying to move this character into this position or to get this thing accomplished. And so I think that the, you know, the Luther is kind of healed, healed a lot of the, the things that didn't work for me this season. So I, I they were definitely my MVPs, but uh, I think, I also, I mean, I also really liked Nia. I thought that the dreamer stuff was really good. I felt like she went, she did. And I think we've talked about it. She went from like, I have these powers to being like uh, pew 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 with her like little dream <laughs> energy thing a little too a little too fast and I think it's also it also stuck out to me because I think that the way that they paced the first half of the season with her was very like classic sort of superhero-y thing where she's, you know, coming to terms with the fact that she has these powers and she's a reluctant hero. And then and then in the in sort of the back half, they were like, and now she knows it all. Like she like she hung out with Calex Cal- too one time and <laughs> and now now she knows what it's about. So I do feel like they kind of rushed her, the the different abilities. Cause I'm thinking about like shows like Smallville where like every season he would get like some new ability. That's not what I expect, but like 
they could have kind of showed her like, oh, I can turn my dream energy into like little lightning bolts. Like that could have been like a, a storyline in one episode. Instead, she was like prowling. She was like guarding, guarding the streets. And all of a sudden she knew how to do all these special powers. And I was like, did I miss the episode? She learned that. Yeah. For the most part, Nia worked for me as well. I think they did a good job of introducing her as a character who I grew to care about. I wasn't exactly sure how things were going to work because Dreamer is a uh, is an original character based on the Dream Girl character from the Legion of Superheroes. So I wasn't exactly sure how they were going to go about that. So I was a little I was a little wait and see to to see what they would do with Nia. But I think Nia ended up being a, a strong character in terms of having an arc, be, you know, being kind of the new Kara at the beginning of the season, coming to Catco and having to find her way around the uh, the bullpen i guess the the reporting <laughs> aspect and discovering that she has well i guess she always kind of knew she had powers but she was uh, uh unsure of what to do with them and uh, i think that for the most part they did a good job uh, doing a, a hero's journey for nia but I, I would agree that the the abilities she got a little too confident in but I thought I thought they did a really good job of showing her visually with the dreams. I thought that that was uh, when they, when she would take a nap and she'd have a dream and it would show her the future. I thought all of that stuff was great. They took a chance in making the show look a little different, which is nice for me because I'm I'm highly sensitive to visuals and I like to see something that looks really interesting and different and a lot of times on Supergirl it will be a little samey it'll be a little formulaic in the way they shoot something you know you get a close-up you get a two-shot whatever it is but with those dreams they made it look like dreams like they did a really good job of making it look like people were there but they weren't there you know what I'm saying so yeah it, it I thought they did a really nice job of making that make sense and they were consistent about how her her at least her dream powers operated maybe some of those energy blast things I still am not sure exactly how that works but the dream aspect of her abilities I thought was really neat and every time they would show it especially the uh, I think it was the blood memory episode when they went to Parthus and we found out about her mom and her sister. And then we saw that barn situation with that kind of culty ceremony that they had, <laughs> uh, which was I, was Nia's mom's funeral. And the way that dream played out, that I thought all of that was really spectacular. Some of the best stuff they've shot and, and put on screen in, in a long time. Um, and one of the things that really surprised me about Nia's story, which I really applaud the show for, um, and what really worked for me, because I didn't know exactly how they were going to go about this, but I was so surprised, and pleasantly so, that they gave uh, Nia's sister Maeve a, a fair shake from her perspective and really just was very fair about Maeve's perspective versus what Nia was going through and how Nia had a little bit of compassion for Maeve. And even though Maeve said some really bad and nasty things to her, um, I I thought that that was bold on the part of the show because they could have made Maeve out to be, you know, a supervillain. But they actually gave Maeve a fair shake from from what she was going through and what she wanted out of life and and how 
Nia getting those powers instead of her imp- impacted her. So I thought that that was uh, really well done on the part of the show, being able to take that chance and, and tell that story too. Yeah, I liked when we got to meet Nia's family. I thought that that was really that was a really well done episode, and uh, and getting to see sort of a different kind of community, one where they wear a lot of flowing white. So Kara felt right at home. She was like, <laughs> "Am I back home? Where's the gazebos? Why is ev- everybody's in loungewear and it feels great?" Um, <laughs> but I I agree. I think. Think that they made they they showed you Maeve's point of view which is that she'd been preparing her whole life for it and I think even though she did say some terrible things to uh to Nia at the end you you could see the hurt place that that was coming from and I think that it really did uh at that point in the show um put Nia and Kara on sort of a similar wavelength where they were both having sister issues and so I really liked that aspect of of what they were doing with those two characters and with Nia in particular. And I just really like that. um, I really like that the representation of Nia, obviously that like she's giving representation to people. She's like the first trans superhero and she doesn't shy. She doesn't shy away from that. She mentions it a lot. Like she mentions it when she talks to James and she mentions it in her dreamer television interview, because we all know television interviews are how you change the world. (laughs) You say hope a lot and you go on TV. Uh, (laughs) But I, I I like that she, but I like that it was a prominent part of her identity on the show and one that they didn't shy away from but it wasn't her whole identity on the show like she got to do so many different things and she got to be such an interesting multi-layered character and we saw her interact with a whole bunch of different characters on the show i felt like she also just she just gelled with the cast so well like um her, she works really well with Melissa Benoist. You could put her in a scene with Jesse Rath. Like I feel like she worked really well in the like the fabric of the show. Where sometimes they'll like introduce a special guest star, and it feels like every scene that they're in, it's like it's me. I'm a cast member now, <laughs> and you're like, I get it. Stop. <laughs> I I don't want to call out any uh, <laughs> legends, but there's a certainly a character on Legends that like it got introduced in the back half of the season and every scene that she's in is just like, it's about me, 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 me. And you're like, Oh God, I get it. You're on the show now. <laughs> I, I felt like even the the episodes that were all about Nia did not feel like she was taking over the whole show. And it was also, you, the, you were also seeing her stuff parallel something in cars journey, which I liked. I do feel like I wish the mentorship angle, which they were playing up in the beginning of the season, um, they had it forgotten about, like Jeremiah Danvers halfway through the season. <laughs> uh, because I, I feel like we did see a lot of Kara mentoring Nia in the superhero biz, but then like things got busy and she kind of forgot about her there too. <laughs> um, I'm just saying that Kara is not the greatest mentor. <laughs> She maybe maybe now that Kara has changed the world through her uh, Lex Luthor expose, maybe she will have more pointers to give to Nia about how to go about, you know, investigating things over in Russia. She'll she'll have things that she can tell Nia now. Uh, earlier, I don't know if she had as much to share with Nia that <laughs> Nia couldn't have figured out on her own. Uh, but yeah, I I agree that the. The Kara Nia scenes in in some of those aspects, because they were playing up the sister dynamic between the two of them, because they both had sisters that they 
at the time couldn't connect with. I thought that played really well in terms of uh, thematic elements and uh, character beats. So I, th- I thought all of that really uh, worked for me. And I would agree with you that Nia blended in with the cast. Uh, Nia became part of the ensemble and didn't didn't just take over the show. And that is a worry that I have sometimes with these big uh, recurring guest stars because that, I mean, it can happen on a show, but I think they uh, blended Nia into the the canvas of the show in, in a good way that she was part of Catco, but she was also part of the superheroics and in a way that uh, didn't didn't make her feel like she was the the only one in a scene. She was just part of what was going on and, and, and being a part of the team. So I would agree with that. Well, um, one of the uh, kind of standouts for me was definitely the Red Daughter stuff. Uh, I wish we had seen more of it, uh, but I thought Melissa Benoist did such a good job of uh, portraying both the the Cara and the Red Daughter side of things. But the Red Daughter uh, stuff especially, anytime she was on screen and was with Lex, not so much when she was on screen punching rocks, but when she was (laughs) on screen with Lex, I thought uh, she shined in those moments. And and I thought the way that they went about their relationship, the parallel and the contrast of the Alex in both Red Daughter and Cara's life, that was that was a surprising choice. I did not see that coming. And I thought that was a really smart uh, storytelling choice that they went about, that they would both have these Alexes in their lives that meant something to them. And uh, just unfortunately for Red Daughter, her Alex betrayed her and ended up trying to kill her. So that uh, that was something that I thought with, in a season of, uh, and I'll talk about this later, uh, writing that maybe wasn't the strongest. I thought that choice with Red Daughter and how they incorporated the, um, the Lex Luthor stuff into Red Daughter's storyline. I thought those were really strong writing choices because at the beginning of the season, we had no idea about Lex Luthor. All we knew to anticipate was there was going to be some Red Daughter stuff at some point. And Red Daughter wasn't even really kind of there at the beginning of the season. But I thought it was uh, a very nice homage to have Lex Luthor come into the Red Daughter storyline because Superman Red Sun is basically a story about a Russian Superman and the American president Lex Luthor. That is their story. And so to have Lex Luthor come into this adaptation of that comic book story, it was such a good choice. And I was very glad that they did that. So all of that stuff, the the Red Daughter and the Lex Luthor relationship really worked for me. Yeah, I loved the Red, the Red Daughter stuff. I thought it was so interesting and well done. I love that sort of the episode where you see him, how he interacts with Red Daughter and sort of manipulates her. Uh, and I just thought that Melissa Benoist was so good in that like dual role because you there was a different energy that Red Daughter had that Kara doesn't. It was similar but different. And I think she did a really good job of playing a, a variation of the character, like a what-if version of the character um, where she wasn't too like completely different, but she wasn't too like, oh, it's Kara, but with a Russian accent. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I thought she did a really good job, and I liked the... Um, I think my only issue with the Red Daughter was a uh, was issue where I wanted more of it. I wish we had gotten more scenes of Kara and and um, 
and Red Daughter talking or, you know, Supergirl and Red Daughter, like, discussing their, you know, their differences and, and like, what Red Daughter's philosophy on, like, the world was and the way that she had, like, learned about things and maybe learning that what she thought wasn't quite right. You know, I, I would have liked to have more, like, more of that. Like, I thought what they showed us was so fascinating, and I just wish that there had been more time for it. And I, I understand that probably some of that comes down to, like, Melissa Benoist is already probably working a whole lot, oh, and then yeah. you're like, also, you need to be this Russian version of yourself. <laughs> and uh, and uh, here, get, get in the harness again. Like, I just, uh, <laughs> I can understand, like, logistically why on, like, a 22-episode television show, having your main actress play two parts is tough. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I was, I guess I was spoiled by how good that stuff was when it showed up that I wish that we had gotten more of it. But I, I agree with you. I think that that stuff was very, very strong. Do you have anything else that uh, worked for you in season four? I mean, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that hat. Yeah. Yes. Like I can't hat. I don't know where you are, but come back. Come back to us. <laughs> is, 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 is Hat in the DEO custody? I don't think he died. Oh, he might be in DEO custody. I think he's in DEO custody, which means that we could get... I So next season, I'm jumping ahead to our pitch show. Next season, I want like a Hannibal Lecter thing where they have to keep going to, to talk to Hat in like a padded cell. And he's like, <laughs> he's like in the straight jacket with like the mask on. They're like, we cannot have him have access to a hat of any kind. <laughs> it's like, my God, man, are, do you have on a ball cap or do you want us all to die? <laughs> and you just like cannot have a hat around him. That would be incredible. No, I, I love that. Uh, what were they? What was they called? The elite? Yes. The uh, We got so little of them. And yet I could have had them be like the first half of the season villain. I thought they were so good. Um, uh, Manchester black. I really liked his journey that we saw, like where he started out, didn't seem like he was that bad of a guy. And then like, he suffers a personal tragedy and just really goes off the deep end. And I thought the actor was really good. I thought the character was really interesting. And then I thought that the way that they used the Manchester stuff to sort of parallel to John, like trying to take a step back and be a man of peace when that's sort of against his nature. Not that he's like a violent character. He's a manhunter. He's a manhunter. He's a fighter. And so have hi- having him be like, no, I-, I can't do this. And having this other character push him and be, la- and be sort of the dark mirror of uh, of Martian Manhunter, I thought that was really interesting and well done. And uh, he, I feel like he went out a little too soon and a little too like abruptly, but uh, but he did give us hat. So yeah, <laughs> so that counts for something. So it counts for something. Yeah, no, I would agree about Jean's storyline uh, paralleling and, and contrasting Manchester Black, and I thought that was a, a nice meaty story for David Harewood and to give Jean a character arc throughout uh, the season. I thought that was really nice, and um, it did give a little bit of a different perspective of some of the humans that were uh, maybe not Ben Lockwood. But they had a different outlook on what was going on in the in the culture and what was what was happening around them. So it was a different perspective. So I, I did like 
the actors and the performances, but I would agree that there there wasn't as much of the elite as I would have wanted. Um, so, but the, but the elite in in terms of when they were on screen, they were fantastic. One of the things that I found that I I kind of came back to as I was going back through my notes for all of the episodes of the season. Uh, one thing that stood out to me in terms of the writing is that there was a big focus on identities, you know, secret or otherwise. You know, if they were just who you who you are as a person or if it was someone like Kara who was hiding her secret or President Marsden who was hiding her secret. Um, I think the for the most part, when I was going back through the episodes, I think the show did a really good job of carrying a, a, a thread of or a, th- or a theme of identity throughout the season, especially with Supergirl, because in this season, this is the season where the DEO wants, you know, the government wants to know what Supergirl's secret identity is, and that sets a whole chain of events off. And by the end of the season, Supergirl's identity is outed. Even though she wanted to tell Lena herself, it gets outed without her, you know, her ability to to do that. And so I think the season really played up the uh, concept of identities and what makes you who you are. I mean, there's tons of dialogue. I mean, President Marsden says, hiding who I am, it's taken its toll. Nia talks about how a true friend will accept you for who you truly are. Uh, Mercy talks to Lena and says, you don't deserve the Luther name. And Supergirl has that line that says, you know, the Luther name doesn't deserve Lena. I mean, it just goes on and on. Agent Liberty, this mask, this mask signifies that it doesn't matter who I am. And Red Daughter says, uh, Supergirl acts on her emotions, selfish, ugly. I will not be her. I will be me. Jean talks about, you know, um, that, you know, he has that big moment with Moran where he says, I'm Martian Manhunter. And even Brainy at the end of the season, he has this identity uh, confusion where he gets realigned and he thinks he's channeling his ancestors. And so he has to fix himself back to who he really was. So I think the show... I don't know if it completely succeeded in everything and tying all of those things together. But when I did go back and look at the episodes and the dialogue, I think there was something there of a theme that they were trying to communicate about who you are and what makes you you. So I think that 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 was pretty strong for me as I was looking back. Yeah, I agree. I I did like all the stuff about identity in this season. I think sometimes because the season was a little bit up and down and all over the place at at points it was hard you know it was easy to to miss that they did actually have like a through line and kind of a thematic uh point of the season but i think that identity and was really one of the the strongest ones so just really quickly i'm going to run these down uh i did like the idea that supergirl uh can punch a super powered villain but she can't punch bigotry you know she can't hit hit people who she disagrees with. I mean, I guess she could, but she shouldn't. <laughs> she shouldn't punch people <laughs> she disagrees with. I like the idea of that. It's a fresh new take on something that Supergirl can't just punch her way out of. And I, I like I like that in theory. I don't know if the season succeeded in making that something that uh, really ran uh, all throughout the season and was consistently good. I think there were I think there were times throughout the season where I wanted more from Kara's perspective on that. I wanted to know what she was feeling about a lot of that because I think she was just like Lockwood bad and that was basically as far as it went. 
And uh, so I don't know that it, it exactly hit all the marks that I would expect it and hope it to do. But the idea that Supergirl can't just punch people she disagrees with, I think it's a, it's a, it's a neat idea worth exploring. Um, so I do think that that was something that the, the idea of it hit with me. I feel like they were very ambitious in what they were attempting and it didn't always hit the mark. But I liked that they, that they tried, I guess, uh, this season. But I also think that like, one of that's one of the reasons that like Lex Luthor is one of my favorite Superman villains because obviously Superman could just punch Lex Luthor into next week. Right. He's you know just a human person, but I think that that's part of the reason that Lex Luthor is such a formidable enemy for for Superman because I think if it was a super powered enemy, they would just duke it out, they would just fight, and then whoever won won. But for Lex, because Super Superman is so much more powerful than Lex, and you know Supergirl in this case. There, there's sort of there sort of has to be a more cerebral level of like where they're they're sort of against each other and it's sort of more of a chess sort of a chess move and so I I enjoy that she, she sort of came up against you know well I can't just punch a bunch of people being jerks that's not you know that's not something I can do and and so I, I liked that she was sort of facing an enemy that she had to sort of find a different a different approach at. And I, I did like that they used journalism um, as her way of sort of fighting against that. Although again, not always consistently. <laughs> she certainly doesn't show up for work that much. <laughs> but they did try to, to put a bow on that at the end of the season. So I will give them credit for that. Um, and I know this is going to be an unpopular opinion, but I'm just going to say it anyway. Uh, the James stuff with the children of Liberty I actually really enjoyed that. I thought that that was a good way just to piggyback on the um, the idea that you can't just fight your way out of things you disagree with. James actually did try to get in there with the Children of Liberty and understand them and try to talk with them and try to beat bad ideas with good ideas and make a make a friendship with that that Tom guy. I I don't <laughs> it's another one of those things where it, it didn't really succeed because they ended up blowing something up on Chile <laughs> Island. So it was not a great successful attempt, but I thought the idea of that a, a lot of the ideas I think really were good in season four, but the way they went about them, not so great. But James, we we talk a lot about on this podcast, doesn't get a lot of good stories for himself. And I thought for for this season, the James children and Children of Liberty stuff, I thought was a uh, a good thing to give him to do specifically because of his guardian connection they thought he was a a human hero and so that made him somebody they wanted to recruit into their group and so i think that was something that only james could do at the time and so i i enjoyed at least for his character he got something good to play at least for a couple of episodes yeah that's true well uh so is there anything else that that worked for you that you wanted to talk about before we move on to what didn't work um no, I think that's I think that was most of it. I'll have I'll probably have some more gray area stuff where I'll be like, <laughs> I liked this, but I'm mad about this. So <laughs> I guess I'll leave that like the 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 gray area um <laughs> storylines and things for the uh what didn't work so well because I guess if it's if it's not a home run then it's kind of a <laughs> Okay, so 
on that note, what what about this season did not really just hit it out of the ballpark for you and and didn't didn't work quite the way it could have? Okay, well, I'm going to start with with what I was calling the gray area uh, things. Mercy Graves was amazing, and then they killed her off immediately before Lex Luthor shows up. So uh, the show giveth and the show taketh away (laughs) in a way that makes no sense to me. Um, I am forever mad about that. And listen, I haven't given up that she's still alive. Does it make sense? No. Is it likely? Absolutely not. Will I take this to the grave? Yes. Um, so yeah, so that to me, I I hate to say it because Kyler Lee, I think is one of the the best actresses on the show. And I think Alex Danvers is one of the coolest characters on television. I do not think she had a a very good season. Like, I don't think that she got a lot of compelling stuff to do, which is unfortunate. I think that the mind wipe on paper, when it was first happening, made me very angry. But also, I was like, well, okay, this could be a chance for the show to really explore a different dynamic between Alex and Kara and really, like, break our hearts and pull at our tug, uh, like, tug at our heartstrings and, and stuff like that. And then I felt like the show started doing something, just kind of shrugged and gave up, and then <laughs> tossed the mind wipe into a corner, uh, w- along with Alex's uh, adoption uh, <laughs> application, <laughs> where it only remembered it at the end of the season when she had to shove some grass in, in the car's hands. <laughs> and God bless Kyler Lee, who I honestly feel was given so little this season and did so much with it. But uh, I just, I don't feel like it was a great Alex season. I don't, like, if you look back and... If I look back and I'm like, what was her storyline this season? It is zigzaggy up and down. <laughs> There's, uh, there was nothing like you can kind of say, you know, when you're talking about Lena, if you look at Lena's character, she had such an interesting progression. You can kind of see the, like where she was in the beginning of the season, where she ended up at the end of the season. You can say the same for, even for Kara, even though I feel like Kara was a little underserved this season. (laughs) You can say the same for Nia or Brainy or, you know, or John. Alex got like the, the James Olsen treatment this Mm -hmm. season Mm -hmm. where she was the director of the DEO for two episodes. And then she got uh, demoted uh, (laughs) almost immediately. You would think going from season three to season four, a big, uh, a big storyline would be Alex is now the director of the DEO. What is that like for her to run this organization um, and to, you know, kind of be the boss of her sister and like, what are those dynamics going to be? And they were interested in that story for about one minute. Yeah. And then, and then, uh, Colonel Haley showed up and now Alex hasn't like a, a new person to rebel against. And then there's the adoption storyline that was like occasionally remembered, occasionally dropped. There was the fact that they made her brains into Swiss cheese for a while. <laughs> and she was like, why am I microwaving this book? Uh, <laughs> she like couldn't remember any of her memories with Carl. She's like, wait, you like movies? <laughs> uh, like it was, oh my god! And and then she had this the this the um the romance with Kelly, which was built up somewhat, and yet still felt like it was thrown in at the last minute. Uh, it was just I 
poor Alex Danvers got thrown around from storyline to storyline with really no connect, very little connecting tissue between it. Like, I'm sure that's how she felt when she looked back at her uh, cherished childhood memories and couldn't remember (laughs) anything. Why do I like this thing? Like, uh, but it was, it was, it was jarring because I feel like in seasons past, Alex has had, really strong storylines. I'm thinking back to like season two and, you know, her coming out and, you know, her relationship with Maggie to season three and realizing that she wants to be a mother and that's going to ruin that relationship that she, you know, has spent so much time and energy putting into. And just like the, the, the sister stuff, I feel like was also missing. So it was this, this weird combination of Alex not having a very consistent, strong story and also the Alex and Kara storyline usually being so central to the show and that being kind of pushed off into a corner. And I feel like what it resulted in is Alex had a very weird, uneven season where she sometimes it felt like she didn't have much of anything to do, even though she was the director of the DEO and apparently like having this huge mind wipe and like meeting a new love interest and yet I don't know I look back on the season and the things that I don't remember unfortunately are not often Alex Danvers scenes which like in seasons past I would tell you like oh that one scene that one episode where she like you know saved herself from being kidnapped and like (laughs) the other you know she like uh, piloted a pond the the ones you know the one episode where her and car put their hands on the glass together and yeah. like i remember so many good alex and car scenes and what do we have this season was it really take the grass was that their big moment <laughs> <laughs> i think it was i think so for for me when i think about uh, car and alex as the danvers sisters this season i i think it's it's sad to me that the crossover i think had the most Danvers sister stuff in it for for the whole season, in my opinion, because yeah. there was that whole else world of Alex not knowing that she was Kara's sister and Kara having to convince her of their relationship and how important that was. And that was so minuscule. It was such a small part of the crossover too, but it was the most impactful stuff of the Danvers sisters I've felt Um it, that I felt a, a connection to in this season. There were some nice moments there where uh, in Red Dawn where uh, Supergirl and Alex had a moment talking to each other about, you know, Alex's sister and some of that. Some of that was nice, but I, the most that the Danvers sisters stick out to me is the Elseworlds crossover. And so that that to me is really unfortunate because that relationship is so central to this show and I think it makes, we're talking about the Luthers elevating storylines. Like when you put Carr and Alex in a story together, that raises everything. It just lifts everything up. And so I think part of the reason that I wasn't as keen on some of the stuff this season is because I didn't have that emotional connection to Carr and Alex like I have in the past. Even with the, the take the grass scene, I didn't really, I'm going to be honest, I didn't really feel anything. I was like, oh, she's got her memories back. Great. I had no emotional connection to that whatsoever. And I think it was because there had been no buildup to Mm -hmm. that. And it was so not cared about from the writing perspective. And I just, 
I think, and four seasons into this, I should care so much that Alex doesn't have her memories. And I just didn't. So for me, that the mind wipe, I think, was such a uh, a dropped... I mean, it could have been something. I, would, I still would have hated it, but they could have done something with it. But the rules were never quite established. It was confusing. <laughs> we didn't really understand what was going on. There was no really emotional impact. I didn't feel like the show had earned it when Alex got her memories back. And one of the things that really irritated me about the mind wipe was that the issues from the the mind wipe storyline bled into other problems for Alex's story, which was the adoption situation. Because Alex uh, adopting a baby was the only thing that brought her memories back. So they needed her to get back to the adoption storyline in order to restore her memories. <laughs> and so that just made me so aggravated with the show that they it just felt like they cared so little about Alex's story that they were just like using her wanting to be a mother as a plot point to get them out of a writing jam. Yeah, especially since they built that storyline with her up so much in the third season where she's, like, considering, can I have this job and still be a mother? Like, her babysitting Ruby, all of this stuff, like, breaking up her engagement to, like, the person that she loved. And then you're just going to, like, the next season, you just drop it it was like uh it was just such a strange choice all around but you mentioned like that the mind wipe didn't have any consistent like rules that was one of the things that drove me the most crazy i remember i complained about it when it was the in the take the grass episode (laughs) because which it will forever be to me now (laughs) when when john was like you can't tell her her brain will explode and i was like dude you did not mention that during the mind wipe. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I go back and watch that mind wipe episode, and I'm pretty sure he was like, don't worry. Like, when this all blows over, she'll get her memories back. He was like, he didn't mention, like, but then her head might explode. <laughs> like, are you joking? That's a, that's such a thing to leave out until the last minute. And it was so obvious to me that from a writing perspective, they were like, well, we can't just have Kara tell her because that's not dramatically interesting. <laughs> and so I hate it when I can see the writer's room behind the story. You know what I mean? Like when I can see like a bunch of writers who are like, how do we stop this thing from happening? I don't know, an anvil. And, uh, <laughs> And that's what it felt like to me. It just felt like obviously they needed some reason that Kara couldn't just be like, yo, Alex, it's me, Supergirl, but also your sister. <laughs> and <laughs> and the reason was like, uh, boom goes her brain. And I just, uh, it, the, but there, there were no established rules. That mind wipe was not well established. We spent like episodes just going, well, what does she remember? Does she know this? But does she not know this? Does she know that? But does she not know that? Like there was, if I think if you're going to have something that dramatic happen, you need to establish the stakes up front early. And they were just so higgly piggly with the, the mind wipe, like the rules of the mind wipe that even at the, even at the last episode that the mind wipe was in, I was still like, wait, what? The rules were there. They were just in fine print of some contract that Jean uh, had invisible in his office. We just didn't see it. It was there. It's like the terms and conditions you have to like, <laughs> you have to agree to when you get like a new iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> it's in there somewhere. You just didn't read it. It. 
that is uh, part of the mind wipe. So I wanted to share something from Mark, who sent us uh, some thoughts about the mind wipe, because I thought he made some really good points. So this is what Mark says. Uh, quote, something just occurred to me. The mind wipe was because Colonel Haley was hunting for Supergirl's secret identity. Colonel Haley was doing that search on the president's orders. The president was in Lex's pocket. Lex already knew the car was Supergirl. <laughs> and so Mark goes on to say, I don't think the colonel's research was successful because Lex apparently knew who Kara was well before the crossover. But if the president was trying to find out Supergirl's identity in part to use as leverage on Lex, not knowing Lex already knew, then that might have made for an interesting story angle. Too bad they never told it, unquote. So that's a really excellent point that the whole shenanigans with Colonel Haley was on behalf of President Baker, who was, as we found out, sort of a puppet for Lex Luthor. So the whole thing was completely pointless. Well, when you put it like that, it makes me more mad. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But uh, thank you, Mark, for sending that in. Uh, That really uh, nailed it down as to why that did not work at all. I I don't think I don't you if you really want to send us an email just to really give a good defense of the mind wipe please do supergirlradio@gmail.com i just strongly feel and believe and think that the mind wipe was uh, such a bad choice in this season for uh, numerous reasons that we have already gone through. But uh, I just, it was rough. Yeah, I think that, I mean, the number one reason that the mind wipe was bad was like the most obvious reason, which is that the Carr and Alex relationship is the heart of the show. So you're essentially like cutting the show's heart out for a little while. (laughs) Um, And if you're going to do that, at least you got to make it dramatic you have to make it painful you have to make it sad and they like it's like they wanted to do this thing but then they didn't really want to do it anymore but then they were already locked in so they just kept doing it but only half-heartedly yeah i guess you got to commit to it when you make a big change because it was a big shift that was a big deal yeah very big shift i should applaud the show for at least sticking it out and finding (laughs) a way out of it even though i did not like the choice of how they did it they did find a writing way out of it so uh, kudos to you on that. Uh, Morgan, could we get topical for a few minutes? Let's, let's, let's get topical. Okay, so one of the things that definitely did not work for me in season four uh, was the way, <laughs> this is going to sound very g- generic and uh, vague, the way things were written. Uh, yeah. <laughs> on, on, on a whole, we're sometimes not the best. I think we have talked a little bit about how the Luth- when the Luthers came in, the show became a completely different show. It it, the, when the Luthers came in, they were like pulling from history and, you know, uh, all these cool things about Lex Luthor and, as a character in chess. And they had all these details in the episodes. And it was like, where has this writing been all season? Because <laughs> at the very beginning of the season, I don't know if you remember this, but we had a conversation about how many times they had like a word of the episode uh, oh, yeah. They, they would talk about the word fear. Like in, in the premiere episode, they mentioned it six times. And in the second <laughs> episode, they mentioned it ten times. And in episode four, they had said the word anger a lot. So they had like a word of the day in a, a, a large part of the beginning of the season. And for me, that was really frustrating because it just felt like it was a first draft. 
And it did not have the depth and complexity of some of those later episodes in the season. And that, to me, if an episode is, like, if I think an episode is really well-written, I don't care how much I dislike the story. If it's well-written, I am going to be on board. And I just had a really tough time getting on board at the beginning of the season because I did not feel like it was, the episodes were, like, after-school special. And it was very hard to get on board because it was just... Not to the level that it ended up, it got there. We finally got, I think, some really strong episodes in terms of the writing towards the end of the season. But the beginning of the season really struggled. And uh, that, that, that was difficult for me to gravitate towards. You never had to guess what the show was trying to allude to or what the show was trying to say. Like, you couldn't write a term paper on this because it's right there in the text, I think. (laughs) I think of, like, the good... And I think sci-fi and fantasy and super, even superhero stuff, I think it can be topical and it can make a point about the world that we're living in. And I think it should make a point about the world that we're living in. I think fiction should have a point of view. But I think for me personally, I would like it to be more allegorical maybe. I would like I would like to sit there and think about it and be like, what are they saying with this character or this storyline? And I'm like, what could that allude to in the world that we're living in um, right now or you know or the or issues that come up and stuff. And this show, <laughs> this season, they basically, you could not miss the points that they were trying to tell because they underlined it and then they bolded it and then they stared at the camera and they were like, this is bad. And I was <laughs> like, no, I know. Yeah, I I mean, I, I agree with you, but also what? And I just, sometimes I felt like, we've talked about this before where it's like, I get what they're trying to say, but sometimes they accidentally say the exact opposite thing. Like the, in the gun control episode, I go back to this one because it's the easiest, it's the easiest <laughs> it's example. It's the best one. It's it is the, the best, best one. one. It has united all of us in, <laughs> in irritation. Uh, Cause I, I, all I saw on my Twitter feed across the political spectrum was everyone going, huh? <laughs> uh, after that episode. But it was like the point that they were making, right. Was guns bad. Okay. <laughs> All right, I'm with you, except that, like, in the very next episode, somebody gets killed because they don't have a firearm anymore. (laughs) So, in a way, have not you undercut the message that you were trying to say? And it's a lot of times I feel like that wasn't on purpose. That's not like they weren't trying to make a message that, like, things can be complicated and, you know, murky and nothing is black and white. They just didn't realize that they undercut their own message. And so I saw a little bit of it this season where they were, like, obviously they're talking about the aliens. And But you're also, you know, it's a show where every May there's an alien invasion, <laughs> So I don't I don't feel like that's that's probably not the one to one comparison you want to try to be making. Uh, It's just I feel like they the intentions were and I understood. But sometimes if you look too deeply at like instead of looking deeply at trying to figure out the like the allegory or try to figure out what message they're saying, if you look too deeply at the message itself, it would contradict itself. And so you were, I, I just ended up being like, okay, well, I get it, but 
no also no <laughs> yeah i would i would agree with that and i think the thing that i was really trying to figure out even after this the season finale aired was i i liked how they got to like in the beginning of the season in episode two supergirl says you know we need to talk to each other and i thought that that was going to foreshadow people you know a- humans and aliens getting along and coming together and trying to reconcile their problems with each other. Yeah, like have it, like having a conversation and being like, well, what's your perspective? Well, what's your perspective? And sort of getting to know each other as people versus these sort of faceless entities. And I don't think they actually did that as much. No. They had they had a they had a nice speech from George Lockwood there in the finale. And that was supposed to sort of tie everything up in a little bow. And it it was nice. But I don't know that it exactly accomplished what what it could have. I think there could have been a more uh, uniting uh, message there at the end. And I, I do think that they did pay off something they set up at, at the very beginning of the season. Jean says, it's your optimism that will help us help save us, Cara, the beacon of hope who sets an example of fighting for justice everywhere, a voice of unity and compassion that will inspire change. And I think by the end of the season, Kara with her expose on Lex Luthor, I think she does accomplish that. So there is that payoff. But the thing that I didn't really fully understand was... The season's conflict started because the humans were frustrated with all of the alien invasions that had come three years in a row. And they were a little like, hey, maybe we don't like aliens invading our homes and, you know, destroying our stuff and making us all really fearful about our lives in these cities. It's kind of a justifiable uh, situation here that people are concerned about. But how does... Knowing that Lex Luthor, through Kara's expose, how does knowing Lex Luthor manip- that he manipulated America and Russia solve that problem? What's going to happen when the next in- inevitable in- invasion, when some other villain shows up, what's going to happen when that happens? Like, I don't understand how knowing that Lex Luthor was a mastermind fixes the alien-human problem. So that, to me, I don't think really... It didn't tie the initial conflict to the resolution. So I I had a really hard time with that. I mean, I'm even still kind of trying to figure out how all of that works because and, and I think one of the big problems for me with this topical stuff, in addition to the fact that they really bungled the Alien Amnesty Act um, and, how, <laughs> and how the government works. Uh, <laughs> so when you goof that up, it's it's really hard for me to get on your side. But they they really kind of glossed over, at least in my opinion, if they glossed over the human side of things a lot. They had the one episode with Ben Lockwood's backstory, which was fantastic. I loved that they took a chance in the different storytelling device with all the flashbacks and interconnecting him with all of our main cast members. I thought that was a really cool way to go about that episode. But then they associated all of the human behavior to Ben Lockwood and his crew. And it was not a fair... Uh, perspective from the human side of things and the fact that even Kara didn't you know she talks about hope help and compassion for all well I didn't think she gave any kind of compassion to Ben Lockwood every hero on our show dismissed him except for Lena Luther, who was like look I showed up at your funeral your dad's funeral with some really awesome sunglasses on I'm just here to pay my <laughs> respects like she was the only one who showed up to try to 
connect with him. Even at the end of the season, she sort of tried to connect with him. So it was really disappointing for me in terms of Kara that, she, yes, she writes this big article that changes the world and saves the day. But did she really have that compassion for all with Ben Lockwood to understand why he had those issues in the first place? I think that stuff could have been a lot stronger and it could have been used as a way to unite the aliens and the humans. So I'm confused as to moving forward with the show. Like, is everything just fine now? Are humans <laughs> and aliens cool with each other now? My guess is that next season, yes, that will be the case. <laughs> but, but I agree. I think uh, even if Carr couldn't speak to Ben Lockwood, because, you know, there's going to be the Ben Lockwoods and the Lex Luthers who are going to be like, no, I don't want your help. I'll just die. Uh, <laughs> and you, you know, you. I think that there is some value in the idea that you can't help everyone and like not everyone is going to be receptive but I agree that like why couldn't we see somebody who was you know maybe scared and then Supergirl reached out and helped them you know connect with an alien or maybe connect a group of humans with a group of aliens and they like talk things out like I think we only saw the most extreme the most extreme humans uh in the children of liberty like the most hateful people we didn't like what were the norm like the people who weren't putting on like hoodies and weird masks doing like we didn't really get a day in the life of them we did get a day in the life of my boy Amadei and uh <laughs> That was fantastic. We love, we live, we all live now in, um, as I put it, the post Amade universe. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I feel like we did, you're right. We got a lot of the, pers- we got the one episode, which was unfortunately all about Ben Lockwood. At, and like, he's not a very redeemable, interesting character. God, God knows Sam Witwer did, did everything yeah, for did that his role. Best. But um, but that was not a you know that's not a character that's engendering a lot of sympathy. But we didn't get like anybody else in that on the ground human episode. Like it would have been nice when you see you know Supergirl flying around. Well, what are some of the other people doing? What are some of the people who aren't super annoying doing? Like uh, I I feel like that some of that was a missed opportunity because we did get on the ground with the aliens a lot more. We saw people you know hiding out at. Al's, Al's bar and we God knows whatever happened to Brian that scam. Oh Brian I, I don't even want to imagine what b- bad thing might have happened. I know a whole season about aliens specifically not one Brian uh, appearance. Uh, my heart is breaking. Yeah. I feel like that can't be good for Brian. <laughs> my mind is going to bad places. <laughs> yeah but like we got the you know we got the the time with Nia and her family, uh, we got that's so Amade. We got, <laughs> we got a lot of different aliens that we met along the way, and I don't. I would agree with your point that we did not see a similar group of people where we just met different humans that we weren't really all that aware of and how they were dealing with all the strife. Like, not humans that are putting on really creepy uh, man in the iron masks things. <laughs> Bringing baseball bats, like that's an effective way to <laughs> to fight a alien that's way more powerful than you. The only example we got out of that was George Lockwood. Yeah, and that and that was way at the end of the season, and it was so minor. It was so minor, and I, I just we got so many different. We got humans like 
Mr. Tasmogar and Lex and Otis, who were one kind of alien-hating crew. Then you got Manchester Black, who was his own kind of hateful person who was being violent. He was on the side of the aliens because his his fiance was an alien and she was murdered. And I totally get that that anguish within him. But he was just as violent and hateful as Ben Lockwood. So you got that kind of human being. And then you have the Children of Liberty, of course, who were a certain kind of hateful group. And I just... But and even like our heroic humans, like James, James was like, ah, Lockwood, we've told all those other stories. We don't need to hear yours in the newspaper. It's no big deal. I think that they could have balanced that out by being like, we listen, Lockwood, we've heard your stuff. We don't like it. But we're going to talk to this guy whose deli uh, got blown up by <laughs> by an alien, you know, during the last invasion. And we're going to talk to him like if they were showing like the other, you know, the other perspectives of people and aliens, because we, we got a lot of that on both sides, but I mean, I think they didn't particularly need to give Ben Lockwood like room to, you know, do his thing. If they had had another like character who wasn't bad, like a bad guy, you know, like you said, Manchester black was, was human. Right. But he was also, a bad guy like Lex Luthor's a bad guy like a, a lot of the the characters that we had that were introduced this season were were villains and we didn't get a lot of like you know human characters on the ground that you know even if just having somebody like I joked about Brian the alien but like just a reoccurring you know Pam from HR what's she up to what's she thinking about it you know like if we had gotten some of the like sort of color characters that sort of make up this world, like Brian, like Al from the dive bar, like, you know, all these other Amade, like if we had gotten some humans um, in that world, I think that would have diversified sort of the, the voices that they were, you know, that they were talking to. I just think that it was, it was very, all these people are bad and you know that they're bad because they're doing bad things. And it's like, yeah, it was a, it was a little, it was a little much, I think. And I, the, just the Lockwood stuff in general, just, I felt like there'd be like a really great episode and then there would be a very Lockwood heavy episode. And I feel like the momentum of the show would sometimes just screech to a halt where I was like, no, because I was so tired of that storyline. The, the human stuff was kind of disappointing. And I think it would have been interesting if, Lockwood had had some sort of mirror to him if there had been uh, a human who uh, understood all the the troubles that the humans had gone through, but also was saying, hey, we don't want to hurt aliens. We want to solve this another way. They could they could have had a character who was his opposite and trying to start another group of humans. So it's just it's just a, a, a thing that I wish they had explored a little more, because even with Colonel Haley, she was a human who uh, was aggressively going after Supergirl, and rightfully so at one point, because they thought Supergirl attacked the White House. But even she kind of came around, and I guess, I don't know, that that didn't seem... That didn't seem like a, a big deal at the end because it just seemed like... <laughs> yeah, it, right? It, it was just kind of there. Like, she was all of a sudden okay with Supergirl. So... 
I, I, I just think there was something they could there. There is a missed opportunity there that they could have explored a different aspect and a different perspective of what was going on. Yeah. And I feel like Colonel Haley could have been that kind of human character who, you know, maybe wanted to bridge the divide or or whatever. But they yeah, they just sort of moved her around the chessboard where they needed her to be like she needed to be kind of nice at the beginning. OK, cool. Well, now she needs to be really like really, really strict and like really going after Supergirl in like a very aggressive oh, too almost too much way where it's like stick your hand in with this little baby <laughs> truth seeker. Yeah, <laughs> truth seeker. Sorry. Um and I just feel like they, they were all over the map with her character where I think because the actress is really good and I liked her a lot. And I think that if they had given her more of a character progression of her coming around to Supergirl in like a more organic way that made because it did feel like at some point in the season they sort of just switched her over and was like, she's a friend now. And I was like, she was the exact reason that you had Alex mind wiped. And now you guys are just chill. Yeah. <laughs> and they played Colonel Haley up as as kind of a villain. I think a lot of our listeners thought she was a villainous character there at the beginning. I was always pro Colonel Haley because of the sweet potato pie. But <laughs> I can see why people thought she was a little more of a villainous character because she did butt heads with Alex and Supergirl quite a bit. But just even even uh, the you know President Baker was was a villain and he was a human and I I just it's weird to me that they would make all it just seemed like all of the humans were bad guys in this season and so I don't know how you go from painting all humans uh, basically as these horrible awful hateful people and then next season be like ah, everybody's cool and getting along it just it just. I don't know that I'm having a hard time really buying into that if that's where they go into it next season. But we'll see. Maybe they'll they'll have a way to to make that merge organically and feel pretty natural. Yeah, I guess the one thing I did like about the season was that they sort of showed the like the self-destructive um, that like hate and fear and all those buzzwords that they put in every single episode, just so we don't forget that those are bad things. But they showed the, how they can be like, s- not just bad for other people, obviously, but also self-destructive. Mm. We see Manchester Black and because he gives into this hatred and this anger and this revenge, um, he ends up dying and he ends up getting more and more extreme where it begins, where he's just trying to get like a one-to-one revenge on Lockwood. And by the end of the, his arc on the show, he was like trying to blow everything up. Like you can see how you start from being in an angry place and you just get more and more angry. And I think you see the same thing with Lockwood, although way more protracted, but, um, you see that he starts the place that he starts out and he gets worse and worse until he loses his wife. He loses his son. He's in jail at the end. He almost dies. He like loses his humanity even because he's injecting himself with this Harnell. Yeah. And so I think that there was an interesting story that they were telling about, I guess about this idea of blaming other people for things and saying like, Oh, well, this is your fault. Like he, the alien, it was the alien's fault that his father didn't get a new business when like the business was going under or like learn a new skill. And it was the alien's fault that, that this happened and that happened. And, and on, you see on the other side where Manchester black is blaming 
Lockwood and blaming people and then blaming society and then blowing everything up. And I think there's, there is a, an interesting story in those things, even though I didn't always love it, where it's the idea of how corrosive those things are, not just to society at large, but to like you as a person. I think that analysis, Morgan, really, uh, really did a lot of justice to some things that I did not <laughs> care for. Uh, so I really appreciate your thoughts on that. I think that um, that made it made what they were going for sound a lot more intelligent and a lot more uh, thought provoking and uh, challenging uh, than I think they they actually did. So uh, thank you for sharing that. Why, thank you. <laughs> well, uh, so uh, we, we, we kind of started off a little positive and then we went a little more negative, but let's bring it back around to the positive. So season four had some things we did like. I think it's safe to say that we did like some things in season four, even though there were <laughs> things we didn't like, we did like some things. So Morgan, when you think back on season four, what are the highlights for you? What are the things that you most remember? Season four, I'm, and I'm like imagining like the little wiggly lines like in Saved by the Bell when they would have like the <laughs> dream, like, ooh. <laughs> um, uh, highlights for me, Red Daughter, um, that episode where Kara gets stuck in the jail and she has to use the powers of the uh, of her journalism skills. And she was the most popular. She was the best the most writer at Catco. Popular writer that never shows up at Catco. <laughs> um, the uh, the Dreamer episode where she goes to see her family uh, and her mom dies by a spider really really randomly. Uh, <laughs> Where I was like, wait, was this a fever dream or did that happen? Uh, I like it when the show gets super weird. Which, speaking of, hat. My boy hat. <laughs> a main highlight of the season was that there was a villainous character whose name was Hat. Whose main thing was, he had a hat. <laughs> His superpower. It's a hat. Listen. Amazing. Um, what else? I think that the, the episode where... Mirin, Marin, whatever, comes back, <laughs> whatever his name is, comes back and uh, as sort of a hallucination. And uh, John sort of realizes that he can't be this person he's been trying to be all season because that's not who he actually is. I like that episode for him a lot. I think that there were some really strong uh, John stuff throughout the season. And then he obviously went on a walkabout to, I don't know, bring home a trinket. <laughs> so he was gone for a while. Um, the Red Daughter stuff was great. The Lex Luthor stuff was great. Uh, that's that episode where it was sort of like a day in the life of Lex Luthor. That was one of my favorites. <laughs> I like when they break up the, uh, I like when they break up the storytelling, um, where, you know, where we're, what we're used to, like our A and our BC storylines and stuff like that. And I like when they're just like, now, now, back in time when Lex Luthor was just writing about Lena and his uh, his angry horse slam book, uh, <laughs> I thought that was a really good episode. At, like, there was actually like when you're going through them, there's so many good. Uh, there were so many good ones. I thought thought seeing little Alex and little Kara again. Yes, even just for those flashbacks, man. Whoever cast those actresses should get all of the Emmys that are available because they're so good. 
I would believe that they went back in time and just stole little little Melissa Benoist and Kyler Lee. They're that they're that good. So just even just seeing like little bits and pieces of them in the in the one flashback episode was was so much fun. I hope they do another flashback episode because those are always so great. And we got that sister relationship that had sort of been lacking for much of the season. Uh, I'm just realizing how few of my uh, main highlights include uh, James. Uh, Well, I mean, it happens. It happens. But it could have been better it, it could have he could have had we could have had it all it could have been turtle boy <laughs> uh and i think i my, my last stuff was everything lena uh because <laughs> she was so good she was. throughout uh, everything lillian and then i think brainy was to me one of those cases where somebody joins the cast of a show and you're like, what was this show like without them? Yeah. It just seems he just seamlessly went into the show in the fourth season. And it just feels like I'm going to go back to like season two and I'm going to be like, this feels weird. Cause brainy is not there in the background pretending to be a bro or <laughs> <laughs> playing Ben Lockwood or getting like rebooted and then rebooted again. Uh, I think Jesse Rath just fits in with the cast so well and just fits in with the world so well and Brainy is such an interesting character because he's analytical but he's also very funny and he's a very fish out of water character which I think worked really well in this season because he sort of gets to like experience the world and kind of be surprised by it because he is so far from the in the future so I think everything Brainy to me was also um, a highlight of the season that is a great list Uh, I will try to follow up with that. Uh, You hit all the kind of the highlights for me. Uh, The finale scene when Lena shoots Lex, I was so shocked shocked by that. (laughs) Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed that. And Lex kind of getting revenge by being like, they think you're a joke. I loved that Your so much. Your friends are mean to you. <laughs> that, that is one of the things I will remember about season four is that moment. It was so good. Uh, Spike the dragon. Let's not yes. for, let's not forget the, super, the dragon. Supergirl befriended a dragon, an alien dragon this season, and it was adorable. Um, I was surprised how much I enjoyed Supergirl's new suit. I had a lot of reservations going into that after that San Diego Comic-Con trailer. I was like, what is this? Are we getting rid of that perfect super suit that she has? What are we doing? What is this? But the way that they implemented that in the show, that it was a way for her to fight off kryptonite, was actually really smart. And I think it's really cool how they have it now so that she can just tap her S-shield and it becomes that suit. That, I think, is a really cool design and a really cool way to incorporate that into the suit. So uh, Supergirl's new super suit, uh, I'm in for it. I am so behind it. Um, the episode, rather, The Fallen Angel was one of my favorite episodes this season. It felt like a really well-crafted, well-written uh, episode. It had a lot of layers to it that I liked digging into. It was free of the topical storytelling they were doing there at the beginning, and it just felt like a breath, breath of fresh air. Uh, so I thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, the, uh, the appearance of Menagerie. We talked a, bit, a little bit about the Elite but Menagerie on her own. Menagerie. She played up the camp factor so much, and that was delightful. 
we compared her to uh, Grace from last season. <laughs> Grace. Uh, I, we we just need, we need more villains like that on the show. She was very enjoyable. Um, the uh, any time that Car and Lena were together in Casnia, I thought was fantastic. That was some of the best stuff uh, for Car and Lena, in my opinion. Uh, Car's investigation into Casnia and Ameritech, actually getting to see her figure things out and investigate things. Please, more of that. I would like to see her do that more. Um, the 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 bolder choices that they took this season, where they really went for it, I was I was very pleasantly surprised when they had Red Daughter pretend to be Supergirl and attack the White House. Wow, was that a big moment? And I was really shocked by it. And there's not a lot, honestly, that shocks me about this show. Sometimes they'll do reveals and be like, "Well, man, we kind of saw that coming," but. Red Daughter pretending to uh, be Supergirl and attacking the White House. That was a big, bold choice, and I applaud that. Um, I think that uh, one of the things that we talked about uh, with Alex, she kind of had a eh, okay season, uh, but she had a great scene in the episode Parasite Lost when she's sort of talking Agent Jensen down with his parasite nonsense, and she talks about how, you know, you know, we all want to m- m- make people safe, and you, I know you're a hero, you know, tap into being a hero and i i thought that that speech that she gave was so great and that was that was a great moment for alex danvers in a season where she didn't have a lot of honestly a lot of great moments oh yeah that was a good one and i think the last thing i want to mention the most probably important thing other than hat hat is probably like the number one uh, (laughs) supergirl radio highlight of season four but let's not forget franklin sleeping under his desk at catco yes that was momentous (laughs) That was a big deal for us. Nobody else cares, but uh, we thought that was a big deal. So that was a, a big highlight uh, for season four for me personally. I feel like we got a lot of hints that James definitely lives under his desk because we had Frank. First of all, Franklin also living under his desk. Why is he doing that? Is it because he's learning from the boss? <laughs> <laughs> but we also have have James like leaving the office and then being like, actually, the office is home and then getting shot, <laughs> getting shot where he lives and then all of his PTSD because he's like, this is my home and it was violated. <laughs> I was, <laughs> we had many, many different examples of the fact that James lives under the desk. And for me, that's the kind of content I come here for <laughs> because it's my theory and I will not give it up. <laughs> I, I appreciate that the show has perspectives and to- topical storylines, but we're really here for the desk content. We're really, uh, we're all in for this desk content. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let's uh, try to put a number on it if we can. So out of five, how many hats hats <laughs> would you give Supergirl season four? Oh my goodness. How many hats hats would I give it? This is a tough one. This is a tough one. I think I because it's it's the best of times and the worst of times. <laughs> so I think I would give this season three point five hat hats hats. <laughs> hats apostrophe hats. <laughs> <laughs> a capital H and then lowercase h. I think lowercase. Yes. Uh, so I'm going to be a little tougher on it because I initially was going to be really tough. I was like, no turtle boy. That's an automatic <laughs> zero. So angry. No director bones. Uh, Mercy Graves got killed off. 
I mean, they were really scraping the bottle of the barrel. Uh, so I would have given them a zero out of five hats hats. Uh, but the Red Daughter and the Luthorian aspects of the season saved it for me. Uh, it could have been much lower. Um, the the writing at the beginning of the season was not great. I hate to say it, but that's just how I uh, look at that and how it's written and, and how it changed over time. It was such a dramatic difference, and it was much stronger at the end of the season. So for me, season four really struggled until like right there at the end, and it got so much better. So I'm going to say 2.5. I could have been really harsh on it, but I, I'm going to go 2.5 here. Um, it's a hot take, probably. <laughs> uh, I, I, I think, for me, this is probably the weakest of the series so far in terms of seasons. I think what's what's crazy to me is I think I would agree with you that it's the, the weakest. But then I think about all the Luther stuff, which I think is some of the strongest material that the show's done. So it is crazy to me <laughs> that it can, that both of those things can exist in one season. It was very, uh, it was a roller coaster ride. The highest of highs, the lowest of lows. And um, so now that we've given our uh, ratings on the season, I guess one thing we could do is maybe rate Lena Luther's wardrobe in season four. And now, Lena Luther, boardroom or ballroom? Do you have a top three outfit uh, choice? This is interesting. Okay, so I am looking at a Twitter thread by, I believe it's at Lena's Plumeria? No idea. But they have done me a public service in that they have gathered all of Lena's outfits <laughs> into one thread. It's, it's gorgeous. They're all gifts. So you can see how the clothes move and it's color coordinated, color coordinated. It's everything I've ever wanted. So <laughs> with that said, um, my top three. Okay. Should I'm going to start from number three. I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna count You're gonna work count out. it <laughs> count it down so that I build. <laughs> so that, uh, number three is that dress that Lena wears on the like the when they have the rooftop brunch where it's like white mm. and pink yeah. and yellow and she kind of looks like a Neapolitan ice cream. <laughs> I yes. I like that look. I love ice cream, so both of those things are good. <laughs> it's my two favorite things together: ice cream and Lena Luther. Uh, <laughs> all right, look number two. Uh, <laughs> count it down. Um, so there's a lot of good suits this season. I will say, Lena Luther uh, stepped out of the ballroom for the most part this season and into the boardroom uh, <laughs> in a way that is almost logical for her position in this world. Um, also, uh, not a lot of open-toed shoes in the lab, so I guess finally she doesn't uh, have to be in danger all the time. <laughs> but I think my number two look is that three-piece blue suit in the Oval Office because she's patriotic. Yes. But also, she's got, like, a strong lipstick game. And also, she looks like um, she might start playing, like, a high-stakes poker game at any point. And I like that. <laughs> I like that she keeps guessing. <laughs> so, my number one Lena Luther look. 
I think that this is probably not surprising to anyone who's listened to the podcast for the last couple of months. Uh, but I like Mylena Luther's soft and cuddly, like <laughs> like for ga- preparing for game night in an off-the-shoulder gray sweater. It's got everything. It's a good sweater. She looks cozy. Her clavicles are still out. She's still showing her shoulder <laughs> and some neck, which is we've established as her power center. <laughs> But she looks so cozy. So that is my number one, surprisingly enough, is just a sweater. Well, that's interesting. So my number three would actually be, I think I'm more into the casual Lena look ah. uh, because because we don't see it as much. So I really liked in the f- season finale when she came in to game night and she brought the wine and I was afraid she was going to curse every one of them out. <laughs> Uh, she comes in with just jeans and a like a black sweater kind of thing. I I just thought that was cool, and I like her in black because I do prefer I do want to see a Lena Luther villain turn. So to see her in black excites me a lot. So I would go with that as my number three from the finale. My number two would be the purple suit that she wears when Eve betrays her. Ooh, good one. Uh, I. I really like that. She was really channeling her Luthorian side in in that one. Uh, And my number one should not shock anyone because I would also say the gray sweater. (laughs) The gray sweater was just a hit all around. It had the casual look. It did have the shoulders (laughs) out. And it looked like something that was very comfortable. So I would also uh, echo your sentiments for your number one. This has been Lena Luther, boardroom or ballroom. I'm glad we took the time to just look back. I mean, we looked back at the season. That's important. <laughs> but really, the important thing is to look back at what Lena Luther was wearing in season four. I mean, would it be us if we didn't do a season boardroom <laughs> or ballroom? I don't think it would be. <laughs> Maybe we'll have to start doing that more in the future. Uh, all right. Well, that's going to do it for our look back at Supergirl Season 4. But before we wrap up, we have an email from a listener named Joseph who writes, quote, Here are the things that I would say were great all season. Lena and Brainy's characters were wonderful and probably had the most growth in terms of their characters. Lex may not have been in many episodes, but John Cryer really made the character his own and is involved with my favorites of the season and some of the series overall. The Elite didn't last too long, but they were great when they were here and gave the right amount of spice to make the political story more pleasant. The acting is still great across the board, even for characters like Lockwood that are not great. The actors that portrayed everyone in this season continue to give their all and is definitely a highlight. Lastly, the cinematography is still wonderful and maybe the best looking the show has been to date. Overall, yes, this probably doesn't work as a whole. Seasons two and three are much better as a season overall. The good news is that now that they have the political story out of the way, they would have to try really hard for whatever the season is next year to be worse, unquote. <laughs> so thank you, Joseph, for sending in those thoughts. And we have some season four related snap judgments. In the game of snap judgments, each person is presented with two options, but must only choose one. First instincts are recommended and explanations are unnecessary. 
Uh, and we have some snap judgments sent in by Alanis. Um, the first one is Supergirl fighting with the Power Ranger costume against the Helgamite or against Lex Luthor. You remember when uh, she fought a Helgamite? I don't. That that was uh, <laughs> that was uh, that was actually when Mercy died. Oh, R.I.P. We I think we both. I think I, I don't remember that episode because it didn't happen and she's still alive. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to say when she fought against Lex Luthor because I think that's a, a bigger, more interesting showdown. Yeah, I think you got to go Lex Luthor. Um, okay, Lillian poisoning Lex or Lena poisoning Lillian? Ooh, I thought I had an answer to that and then I had to stop and think about it. I think I'm going to say Lena poisoning Lillian just because she did, like, Lillian was under the impression that Lena was kidding. And Lena still was like, no, you're going to need to take that antidote. (laughs) So I think I'm going to go Lena poisoning Lillian. Yeah, I'm also going to go Lena poisoning Lillian because you know what? It was playful. (laughs) It was was deadly, but it was playful. (laughs) Um, Okay, Lena's purple suit from episode 15 or the blue suit from the final episode. Okay, so this is taking our choices and really, really going head to head. It's Battle Royale now. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, Hmm. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with my choice with the purple suit. Yeah, I'm gonna stick with my choice for the blue suit. I I liked I liked the look, and I feel like I gotta I gotta stick with it. No judgments on your snap judgments. All right, well, that's going to do it for our look back at Supergirl Season 4. If you would like to contact Supergirl Radio, you can post a comment on our website at supergirlradio.com. You can email us at supergirlradio at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, you can call us at 678-718-7252. And uh, we record on Tuesdays, so if you can uh, shoot us an email or a call and leave a voicemail before 6.30 p.m. Eastern on Tuesdays, that would be great. Uh, You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at Supergirl Radio. You can listen to us on Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, where we also have a Spotify playlist that includes music featured and uh, inspired by the show. We're also on Radio Public and Podchaser. And we are on DC's fan page, which you can find at dccomics.com slash dc-fans. And we are available on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher Radio. So if you have some time, we encourage you to give us a rating and write us a review. And if you think that's way too much information, which I know it is, you can just go to supergirlradio.com and you can find all those links on the right side of the page. And now we throw it over to Mark for the DC TV plugs. Supergirl Radio is part of the DC TV podcast network. So if you like Arrow, The Flash, still not as fast as Kara, Legends of Tomorrow, iZombie, Black Lightning, Krypton, Titans, Batwoman, or classic DC TV shows, or the upcoming Swamp Thing and Stargirl shows, you can subscribe to the Mega Feed on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. Follow at DCTV Podcasts on Twitter and like DCTV Podcasts on Facebook. Well, you can find me on Twitter at DerbyKid and on Instagram at The Derby Kid. I also voice a character named Leanne on a sketch comedy podcast called The Fakest. We are in season two right now. It's very exciting, so you should check it out. And I'm also a contributor to Justice League Universe podcast. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Mojotastic. That's M-O-J-O-T-A-S-T-I-C. You can also find me as a co-host on the Legends of Tomorrow podcast, which also just had its season finale. And we shall be doing our own season breakdown for season four soon. I think we're probably going to be using the Harry Potter owl method again. Nice. So tune in for that. It's always a classic. 
Uh, well, season four of Supergirl is over, but you can hang out with us this summer because we'll, we're going to have lots of content coming your way in Supergirl Radio season 4.5. But until then, I'm still Rebecca Johnson. And I'm still Morgan Glennon. Enjoy your season four rewatches. Rewatches.